Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is October the 19th, and our chapter for today is Galatians chapter 5. Now, Galatians in its entirety is only six chapters, so I want to encourage you to read the entire book, as I will other books of this size in the New Testament. You can read the entire book in just a few minutes. You're not going to study it in a few minutes, and you're not going to get the entire message in a few minutes, but what you will do is get the feel for the Apostle Paul's writing to the Galatians and for what he wanted to get across, because there was a heresy in Galatia that was prominent in the New Testament era. Because anywhere the Apostle Paul went, he always went to the Jew first. That means as a student of Gamaliel, he would have been welcomed. Why? Because Gamaliel was the protege of the great Rabbi Hillel. And anywhere that Paul would have gone, anywhere that Gamaliel would have gone, they would have been invited to speak at the synagogue at the proper time. And so Paul always went to get a hearing anywhere in the Greco-Roman world. He would have gotten a hearing because of his background. Now, this was, as you recall, part of God's plan for the fullness of time. Remember, I shared with you that in Galatians 4.4, the scripture says, In the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those of us who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption. It was in God's plan during those silent years, those 400 years, when the curtain was closed, when the lamp was extinguished, when it was darkness. We did not hear a word from God, a prophetic utterance that was written down for over 400 years. Then God sent the angel Gabriel to speak with Zechariah, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist the husband of Elizabeth, who bore the uh, child, John, in their old age, bore the child that would be the forerunner of Messiah himself. It was the same angel that went and appeared to Mary six months later and said, you have been chosen as a virgin, as a young lady, as someone who is in their teenage years to come and partner with God and bring forth the Messiah. It was a miraculous birth, all to say that in the days of Jesus and during the days of the Apostle Paul, the tradition of the Jews was to keep the law, to be blameless, so that a person could be saved. Now, that's not the teaching of the Bible. 
Abraham was not saved through keeping the law. David was not saved through keeping the law. No, as a matter of fact, James, the Lord's half-brother who wrote the book of James says, if you keep the entire law, the entire Torah, the entire instruction of God, and yet you offend in one point, that is, you just mess up once, you are guilty of it all. In other words, the wages of sin is death. And the gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the way it's always been, the way it's always going to be. We are saved by grace through faith. Abraham was saved not by keeping the law, but by grace through faith. He trusted God and God's provision and God's word, and because of that, he was saved. Same thing is true of us today. Now, Paul had preached this to the church at Galatia. But they had deviated very quickly from salvation by grace, and they came up with this concept that is still with us today, that's taught in many denominations in different ways, taught in major mainline denominations, and taught in uh, the Roman Catholic Church, taught in other churches, that it is not trusting Jesus alone to save, you know, you've got to keep this law. You've got to have this sacrament. You've got to do this thing. Let me just say to you, that is heresy. Heresy is deviation from the truth. It means to divide. It means to go off. And I have said to you on occasions past that truth without balance. In other words, you take a truth and you go to seed on that truth, then you will begin to deviate and go into heresy because you will center your theology around something other than what God centers his revelation to us about how to know him and walk with him. And so the Galatians had departed from the truth very quickly. And Paul was amazed. He said, how can you be so quickly removed from the true gospel that I preached unto you? And so they had not said that Jesus was not important. They had not said that a person didn't need to trust Jesus. It was just not enough. You had to be circumcised. In other words, you had to do something. And so I want to give you this principle and this axiom to follow for the rest of your days that is taught confluently and consistently throughout the New Testament. And that's this. Salvation is by grace through faith. It is trusting Jesus alone to save you from your sins. It is not by grace plus works. It is not by grace plus baptism. It is not grace plus circumcision. It is not grace plus anything. You are saved by grace through the agency of faith. You lay hold, you commit to the promises of God with your whole heart. That's the only way a man can be saved is by repentance and faith. And you say, well, you added repentance. No, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. You don't just repent. That is, stop doing something you're doing. That means to turn. Shuv in the Old Testament in the Hebrew means to turn 180 degrees. You turn from the direction you're going, and you turn and go another direction. Metanoiao, the word for repentance in the New Testament Greek, means to change your mind, which leads to a change of direction. 
The two are the same. And when you change your direction, that means when you change your mind, which leads to a change of direction, that means you change your mind in relation to who Jesus is, who God is, how your walk and relationship is with him, and you begin to embrace that which you did not embrace before, to engage that which you did not engage before, and place your trust, that is, commit your life to Jesus Christ, because you were committed to yourself or to some other idol, some other idolatrous way of thinking. Because anything or anyone you worship other than God himself is an idol, including yourself. We are not the arbiters of what is right and wrong. The Word of God is the only authority, the final authority to which the believer is to appeal. And so Paul has told them not to walk like they once walked, but to walk in the freedom that God has given us. Not so we will be able to do what we want to do, the freedom that we have in Jesus is not the freedom to do what we want to do. We're not saved to do anything we want to do. We're saved to do what Jesus wants us to do. We are saved to walk in freedom, freedom to obey. God saves every person he saves unto obedience, to do his will, not our will, to love what he loves, not love what we want to love. And so on and on. So he comes to chapter five. And remember, he writes as he does always on, in non-personal letters. He has a doctrinal aspect of all that he's talking about, all that God has done for us in Christ, our relationship with him, our justification, our sanctification, our glorification, all of the Asian words. And then he deals with the covenant relationship between Israel and the covenant relationship between God and the church. So that is the way God manages things, the oikonomia, the way that he deals with things according to epochs or time periods. Those are also called dispensations. That's where you get the term dispensationalism because a dispensation is an epoch, an era, a time period, a way in which God manages the world and manages his relationship with people. God is the same, but how he deals with us is progressively revealed to us in the scriptures. We know more in the New Testament era than they did in the Old Testament era. There were mysterion mysteries that were revealed in the New Testament that were not revealed even by the Lord Jesus himself. Not that he didn't know it, but it was not time for that to be revealed. And so when he comes to the last section, that is the Apostle Paul, which has to do with practicality, our duty because of what God has done for us, so you have doctrinal in the first couple of chapters. You have dispensational in the next couple of chapters. This is truth, doctrinal truth, what God's done for us in Christ by grace. And then how God manages his relationships and his covenants with Israel, with the church. And then in chapter 5 and 6, he deals with the practical aspects of our salvation. In other words, because God has done this for you, here is how you live for him and what we do in the name of God and on his behalf. He says in chapter five, stand fast, be established, therefore, 
that therefore is there to bring us to a purpose or a result. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And don't be entangled again with a yoke, with a teaching of bondage. Now, the word yoke has to do with teaching. When Peter was talking to the Judaizers, he said, you have put a yoke upon us that neither we nor our fathers can bear. As I shared with you when we covered that, a yoke is idiomatic for a teaching, a particular way of teaching. And so this is why the Lord Jesus said, I want you to, those of you who are tired, you're weary. He's not talking about physically or emotionally tired necessarily. He's talking about those of you who are tired and weary of having this yoke upon you of trying to do, 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 perform, perform, perform in order to be right with God and accepted by God and accepted by others. Here's what Jesus said. He said, come unto me, all you that are laboring or toiling, or you're heavy laden with this yoke of the law that is upon you. you got to do this in order to be saved. If you don't do that, then you're not going to be saved. All of this bondage, this slavery to performance. Here's what he said. Come unto me, all you that are labor intensive, that are in bondage. You're heavy laden. You are weary. Come unto me. Take my yoke upon you. Take my teaching upon you and learn of me. Listen, this is why he said, and learn of me. Why? Because it has to do with teaching. What Jesus was saying is, for those of you who are tired of and weary and burdened down and labored with trying to perform in order to be saved, enroll in my school. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and you will find rest for your soul. You see, Jesus gives us rest. Why? Because he is our rest. He has performed for us. He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. Because the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins, it shall die. Cursed is everyone who does not keep the whole law. No one has ever kept the whole law except the Lord Jesus. No one is perfect except the Lord Jesus. You and I are sinful, and we cannot say, well, my good works will outweigh my bad works. No, that is not the case. Never has been. Never will be. It is not now. You are condemned. I am condemned. We have sinned. We can't just say I just sinned once, twice, ten times. No, we have sinned over and over and over again. Listen, if you just sinned once a year and you're 20 years old, that's 20 sins. If you have sinned once a week, uh, that adds up. 52 weeks, 20 years, added up. If you just sin one sin a day, That'd be 365 cents. And you add that up over 10 years, that's over 3,000 cents. Now, you can take the smallest violation there is on the planet. Let's just say in America, it's a parking ticket. One or two, you say, okay, well, I can understand. No, no, no. A parking ticket's a parking ticket. You violated the law. But let's say you go into court and you have 3,000, 6,000, 10,000 tickets. Do you think you're going to get off? You think they're just going to say, hey, forget about those. I mean, you only sinned and violated and fell short 3,000 times. We're going to let you off. No, that's not going to happen anywhere, even in today's woke society. 
No, what I'm telling you is we are not just guilty of parking tickets. We have sinned over and over again. We've rebelled against God. We've sinned knowing we're sinning, and we did it anyway. And so there is no way out from under it. Paul said, I want you to understand that you cannot save yourself. And once you are saved, you have to understand that Jesus is the only one that can save you. And so he goes in to say, it's not Jesus plus anything. Indeed, I, Paul, say unto you, if you become circumcised, in other words, if you've got to become a Jew, if you're trusting your circumcision to save you as a Jew and saying, well, uh, I have been cut as a man, so therefore I'm saved, that's ridiculous. Because, you see, there are now Gentiles that are cut and circumcised all over the earth. Does that mean they're saved now because of circumcision? Well, you're just saved because of your genealogy and because your mom or dad was right with God that you're right with God? Absolutely not. This doesn't make any sense in any wise, spiritually, morally, any other way. And so he says, if you're going to circumcise yourself and say, Uh, well, now I'm saved, then what is it going to profit you to know God? You see, either Jesus is the only way of salvation, or he's a liar, he's a lunatic, he's a crazy man, or he's deceiving everyone. He's a charlatan. And so we have to come to grips with these things. And so Paul is saying, look, you have been saved to serve others. You've been saved to serve God. And that's what verses 7 through the end of the chapter talks about. And verse 13, he picks up on and says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. God saved us so we could serve. God saved us so we could obey. He said, Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. He said, we are not saved to say we have the freedom. Now we're saved. We have a fire escape from hell. And so now we can live any way we want to because we're under grace. That's not the attitude of a saved person. Why? Because if you're saved, you're really trusting Jesus to save you. You understand that the sin that you committed is what he died to pay for. It cost him his life to pay for your sin. And that brings forth love and a sense of obedience to do what he asks you to do as a way to say thank you. This is what Paul is talking about. He says we are not saved in order to go on living under the dominion of sin. We are saved, he says, to not use our liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is exactly what the grandfather of the Apostle Paul, spiritually speaking, Hillel, was saying. When they asked Hillel, can you sum up the law? He said, yes, do nothing hateful to those who hate you, but rather treat them the way you would want to be treated. Don't hate other people because they hate you. Treat other people in the way that you would want to be treated. We call that the golden rule. Jesus put it in a positive way, all to say, what is a summary of the law? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with the totality of your being, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and to love others as you love yourself. And so we are saved to love. We are saved to serve. We are saved to live in the freedom of obedience. And and it's so wonderful to live in that and not be frightened because we think we're going to slip up here. And uh, we're not going to fall from grace in the sense of losing our salvation, 
But if you say, well, okay, I've got to become a Jew. I've got to start wearing a prayer shawl. I've got to wear a kippah. I've got to do all these different things, and then I can feel spiritual. Well, it may help you to feel spiritual, but that is not what determines spirituality. Being controlled by the Spirit of God and producing the fruit of the Spirit is talked about in verse 22, verse 23, and there is no law that can produce that. There's no law that can engender that in your heart, only the Spirit of God. So Paul is saying, listen, you are saved, you are made free to obey, to love and to serve others. And God does that in the life of every true believer. Enjoy it as you walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at tonycrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.